And uh, please turn, if you would, in your copy of God's Holy Word to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3. We continue our exposition of Hebrews. Today we're going to really only focus on verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. But for the sake of context, we will read from chapter 3, verse 15, to chapter 4, verse 11. We're entering in a new uh, uh, discourse in the book when it comes to rest. And today, uh, there is going to be quite the warning uh, that we are to fear that we miss out on the promised rest of Christ, that we are to mix the word of promise of the gospel with faith. And so there will be some heavy things that the Lord will lay before us, but we need these warnings lest we find ourselves to be apostates and self-deceived, as we were warned in the third chapter. So with that, then, to introduce our text to us, Hebrews 3, verse 15. Please give your attention once again to the reading of God's holy word. While it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them which believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which had believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth, that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus, that is Joshua, had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth, therefore, a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray for the preaching. O Lord, our God, we come to another text that threatens us, Father, And you are in your rights to threaten us, that you might gain our attention, that we would look to the Savior. Help the preacher preach in such a manner as this, gravely, seriously, uh, imploring the people of God. Only your spirit can do this. But also help the preacher preach up Jesus, that they would see and flee Jesus Christ as though crucified among them. O Lord our God, we pray for the glory of Christ to be all about us today. Give us your spirit that the minister may preach in the spirit and give the spirit to those ears that will hear 
that the hearts that hear this word would not leave this place without mixing the word of God with faith, that they may profit from it. And so, Father, make us know in the preaching of the word that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. And we ask this for the sake of Jesus. Amen. Well, rest. From the time that we were cast out of and banished out of the Garden of Eden, this is what man seeks. This is what man needs. Rest for our bodies, that's too much of what the world seeks. But even more so than that, rest for our weary souls. After the fall, friends, do you remember why, maybe boys and girls, you might remember why Lamech named his son Noah. This same shall comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed, Genesis 5.29. And the words comfort us in the Hebrew have the sense of this one will give us rest. That was the hope for Noah because from the time of the fall, men have yearned for rest for their weary souls and bodies. You yourself likely yearn for an eternal rest for your souls. Uh, Christians who mature in the faith they, they yearn for the day when there is no more striving against sin, where there is no more pain in soul or body, where there is no more weariness, no more burdens to bear, where you may simply rest in God. This present world, at some point, for every true believer, becomes a weary place, striving against sin and striving against temptation. And that's one of the reasons we grow to love Sabbath days, where we rest in the Lord and we see the promises of Christ. And so rest is a major theme in the fourth chapter of Hebrews because it is the great need of fallen man. And the apostle here preaches, there is only building on these three chapters we've come thus far. There is only one way to have this rest. It is not found in Noah. It is not found in Joshua. It is not found in Moses. It is not found in holy angels or a temple system that was passing away at the time. It is solely found in Jesus Christ. No Jesus, no rest. And what the apostle reminds the Hebrews is this, that they have heard the gospel preached to them. A gospel, if you think of it this way, that promises rest for sinners, that promises peace with God for sinners. And so the Hebrews have heard this gospel preached. And the warning he gives them, and really is the warning for us all as this text has come to us down through the ages, is that those of us who have heard the gospel, that without faith mixed with the word of promise of the gospel, the word of promise profits our souls not at all, and we would never enter into the promised rest of Christ. This was their grave danger, and this is ours as well. There is a wonderful, wonderful theological truth here that the word of God must be mixed with faith or it profits us not at all. Not for our salvation, not for our sanctification, not for anything. And so our, 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 our theme is simply this, is our need to mix the words of God with faith to profit. And especially when it concerns to the word of promise of the gospel, we will fall short of Christ's promised rest if we don't receive the words of the gospel with faith. And so we'll consider that theme under three heads. One is to fear that you might fall short of heaven. Second is to remember our father's unbelief. 
And third is to mix the word of God with faith. First, to fear that you might fall short of heaven. Verse 1 is very plain in this. Let us therefore fear. That is an exhortation. That is an exhortation to have fear. Lest a promise being left of us of enter into his re- entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Now we have to build on what we've already heard in chapter 3. That unbelief kept our fathers out of Canaan. Right? There was a, a refusal on their part to enter Canaan because they were more afraid of the inhabitants of Canaan, you remember that, than God. They had no faith in the promise of the Lord that he said, I will give you this land that is overflowing with milk and honey. They lacked faith in Almighty God to fight for them. They lacked faith in Almighty God to bring them into that land by his mighty, uh, mighty works. Their faith... Faithlessness was so severe, right? Because they also encountered many, many tokens of his power and might. His mighty hand and outstretched arm, they saw it at work. He swatted aside Pharaoh and his armies as gnats. He provided their every need as they journeyed. They had seen his promise and they'd also seen his power as he brought them through, as it were, fire and water. And so, just like us, friends, they had every warrant to believe. And they refused to believe him. And as you have already heard in the third chapter, unbelief in the promises of God is one of the greatest evils. Why? Because it casts doubt on the being, character, and power of God. It denies who God is. It denies that God is worthy of faith. And as you heard this morning with the centurion, he absolutely is. And that's why at the end of the third chapter, you saw it is called what? An evil heart of unbelief. It is wicked. Unbelief in God is wicked and worthy of the greatest condemnation. It is one of the worst sins because it is contrary to the very first commandment, isn't it? Thou shalt have no other gods beside me. It is contrary or before me. That is contrary to the first commandment because God is worthy of all of our faith. And what was their punishment for their unbelief? You have to remember this. That generation fell short of Canaan. Literally fell short. One by one, their bodies fell in the wilderness as they went round and round and round about, prohibited from the land of promise. Body after body, carcass after carcass, as the King James puts it, falling short of Canaan. And that's... The very language that is used here when he warns us. What does verse 1 say? Uh, Lest any of you should seem to come short of it. It's the same idea that we have heaven set before us, the heavenly rest of Christ. And any one of us who have heard the words of God, who have heard the word of promise, any one of us, friends, can fall short of it. Just being here, just hearing the word of God, just hearing the gospel will not bring you into heaven. Just hearing the word is insufficient. And I want you to think about, we don't do this very often, and we must get in the habit of doing this. We must consider what rest it is that is promised for us. Because it is something far, far better, something far more desirous than Canaan and even Eden. It makes Canaan and Eden pale in comparison. 
And we must know what it is that we have promised for us because we must fear missing out on it, friends. Jesus Christ, first we find where we find rest, right? Jesus Christ has called out to us in the gospel and said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 29. This rest that Hebrews is speaking of is rest that is found in Jesus Christ. And it is found, as he calls out to us in the gospel, only in him. You find rest in me, he says. He says, he will bear all of your soul's burdens. And this rest is what is called elsewhere in the Bible, peace with God. That's what this rest is, really, at the end of the day. It is peace with God. That your sins will be washed straight away by Jesus Christ. That your conscience, right, a conscience that troubles us with our sins, or it should, our consciences can have peace and rest knowing there is no condemnation for those who are found in Christ. And so this rest is the rest we need, where our heart, even though we are great sinners, our heart can say, it is well with my soul, because God has given me Jesus Christ to save me. And you can also say, right, we we marveled at this in the Song of Songs, that I can say God is mine, the creator of heaven and earth, the sovereign God, he is mine, and Jesus Christ, Son of God, is my surety. He is my advocate. He is my redeemer, and he has done this all for me. That is the rest, right, that then the revelation expands on greatly. Revelation fourteen thirteen. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, write. That's interesting when we think of the word of God. A word from heaven says, write. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, what? That they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Those of us who are the blessed dead, who will be the blessed dead, who die in the Lord, we will rest from our labors. This is a word of promise, isn't it? Which is why John is told to write these words down. And so even that word there in Revelation 14, 13 is a word that must be mixed with faith. You must believe that is the rest that you will have if you are in Christ. That you as the blessed dead will rest from your labors, eternally so. Then he promises also in the Revelation that he will give us heavenly Canaan through Jesus as well. Far more glorious than Eden or the first Canaan. For in this heavenly place, this is the rest that we read of. The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, What? Write, for these words are true and faithful. Revelation 21. This is another word that we must mix with faith. But that is a picture of our promised rest, beloved. All, all of it through the work and person person and work of Jesus Christ. Eternal rest from our labors. Eternal rest from our striving over sin. Eternally resting and best of all, dwelling with God 
with us, Jesus Christ. God himself shall be with them. An eternity of the joy of the 16th Psalm. In thy presence uh, is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That is the rest that Christ has promised. But only if you have taken up by faith. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Only so, if you have mixed that with faith. And so, having in mind such exceeding great and precious promises of rest, the first verse must, it warns us that we must fear that we would come short of this rest. You know this, the Bible, we've gone through this in our preparatory services, the Bible constantly warns us of our need to examine ourselves to prove whether we are in the faith. Today, we must note that a healthy fear of the Lord is not in opposition to faith at all. A healthy fear of the Lord is not in opposition to faith. Some teach that today, that that a man or woman who has faith in the Lord should not have any godly fear. But this chapter does two things. It is full of our need of faith, full of our need of rest, and also full of our need of fear. The fruit of saving faith, you need to remember this, is a true fear of the Lord. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Isaiah eight thirteen. This is the fruit of saving faith. And God says, let him be your fear and let him be your dread. You and I are to grow in an awe and reverent fear of Jehovah. He is awesome. He is holy. He is a consuming fire. And what are we? We are just creatures. And worse, we are still sinners who dishonor him in thought, word, and deed. Our fear must be to offend God in any way. And we must be jealous for him above all things. Today, and I don't think I have to tell you this, there is a terrible lack of fear for the Lord in the church. Many even teach against, as I said, the fear of the Lord, but they are fools because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is what the Bible says. Remember, what was the centurion Lydia and uh, Cornelius called this morning? God-fearers. God-fearers. That is what you and I must be. You and I must be God-fearers. You must say, I must fear displeasing the Lord. I must fear dishonoring the Lord. And I want you to remember something. You know, so many have this romantic view of the book of Acts, right? And say, we need to go back to that time. Well, that aside, in the book of Acts, I want you to remember that the church found rest when it had the fear of God. Then had the churches rest. Listen to that. They had rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Acts 9.31. What are the two things happening here? On one level, right, you see this. The comfort of the Holy Ghost is not in opposition to the fear of the Lord. They had the comfort of the gospel through the Holy Ghost, born again, but that gives them the fear of God as well. These two things are not contrary. They embrace the gospel and they fear. The, the gospel comfort does not bring us complacency. It makes us walk in godly, reverent fear. And what two things resulted in Acts 9? The church multiplied and they had rest. 
And if you look at that chapter, the Greeks are threatening to slay them. But what did they do? They feared God more than the Greeks. And the church multiplied and the gospel there is boldly preached by Barnabas. They they say, what can man do to me? I fear God. And the church is multiplied. There's a holy boldness that comes and get out of the fear of God. That's the wonderful thing, right? When the fear of God comes over a soul, when it comes over a church, when it comes over a nation, there is nothing that can stand in the way of, of the works of the Lord. Because when the fear of God is gripping a soul, they do the works of God boldly, cheerfully, willingly, and saying what? We must obey God rather than man. We must have the fear of God. And so the Holy Ghost in our text seeks to instill a godly and reverent fear in us, beloved. Never be complacent. Ask yourself this question, and maybe this is God asking you this question in the preaching of the word. Does my life, does my life show the fear of God? How does my life manifest the fear of God? Am I believing God? Am I trusting God? Am I honoring God? Am I ever looking to Jesus Christ? Have I entirely and wholly consecrated my life to Him to honor Him as my God? Or do I just give Him what few scraps of time I have? Do I have the fear of God? And one of the means, beloved, He uses to cultivate godly fear is making you fear here in this text that you will miss an eternity of rest. Let me remind you, boys and girls, eternity is a long time. Eternity is a very long time. It never, ever ends. And that is a blessed thing, beloved, if we enter the eternal rest of the Lord. But what a terrifying thought to miss the eternal rest of the Lord and to have to endure an eternity of hell. We have to fear, beloved, that we will miss out on heaven because the alternative for an eternity is far too terrifying for our souls to comprehend, forever tormented over our sins. And so I ask, should we not, each of us, fear that we will come short of this promise? Yes, So when is the last time that you yourself have trembled at the thought of an eternity of torment? That is a healthy thing, friends. Our text says the exhortation of the apostle is, let us fear. Let us fear. Friends, all of us will have looming before us one of two eternities, one of two futures, a blessed eternity resting in Christ or a terrible eternity being tormented by God. Should we not spend time examining our faith before eternity comes for us? The Lord says you don't know. He might be saying, thou fool, tonight your soul is required of you. So you must ask, where am I going? Beloved, never grow complacent. Develop a healthy fear of God. And so... For our theme tonight, there's much that could be said on that, but we have to constrain ourselves to this text. Uh, We need to look at the great and precious promise before us and fear not entering it. So many have associated themselves with the visible church 
And I want to warn you in this. I want to warn you in this. So many have associated themselves with the church and are in hell right now. They have not made it to heaven. And that's a tragic and terrible thing. To hear the word of God every week and not enter into heaven. Though it is freely offered to us in the gospel. To simply repent and believe as gifts from God. We have to fear. I think, I think it would be stunning if we knew how many souls who have gone to church their whole life are in hell because they received the word of God for decades and decades and decades and never mixed it with faith. This is not some theoretical danger, friends. The apostle develops his warning by having us recall our father's unbelief in our second heading. Verse 2 says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. The people referenced here goes back to Hebrews 3.9, right? When your fathers tempted me. This is that wilderness generation we have considered before. But I want you to understand that these people are our fathers as well. We must not see them as a people unlike ourselves. And that's a great folly of the present age is to be done with the Old Testament. But perhaps worse than that is to ignore the fact that our text says something profound, that the gospel was preached to the Old Testament saints as well as to us. That nail, that te- this text puts the final nail in the coffin of any theology that says the Old Testament saints had a different gospel than ours. That they were earning their salvation by the law. If you think there is another gospel, another way of salvation for them or any other, you will divorce the Old Testament from the New and you will never see the connection between them and us. They are not just the fathers of Jewish Christians. Christians. They are the fathers of all Christians. For we are Abraham's seed if we are in Christ, aren't we? My seminary professor, Old Testament professor, he uh, went to a Jewish seminary. And uh, because he learned, he earned his PhD in Hebrew from that seminary. And he said that uh, what is very interesting is when you would go through the Old Testament, uh, they would go and they would read the Exodus account and they would say, we were there. We were there at the time of Moses. There's this, this solidarity there between the, the Jewish people today uh, and the people in the Old Testament. And my Hebrew professor said rightly this, no, they weren't there. We were there as the children of Abraham, by faith in Christ. He said, we need to start picking up that language. They are our fathers, because we are Abraham's seed if we are in Christ. And what that does is it makes this entire Bible precious to you, friends, because it preaches one gospel hope. No portion of this book can we say, God's people do not have the same hope we have. Our lives and our hopes are intermingled together in Jesus Christ, whether it is Abraham or Moses or Joshua or Ruth or Esther. Their rest and our rest has come out of the very same gospel hope. Revelation 14.6 calls the gospel the everlasting gospel. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. And to what? every nation and kindred and tongue and people. There is one God and one gospel for the Jew and Gentile and every nation on earth. You heard this morning that the Jews are beloved for the Father's sake and they must come to the same gospel 
that their fathers heard and proclaimed themselves. The same gospel, the same good news of rest from our sins in Jesus has been preached from the time of Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Faith in this word of promise was why Adam and Eve were saved, friends. This is why Eve, when she had her boys, said, this one, I have received a man with the help of God. Why? She was hoping that he would be the deliverer. Sadly, the first one was a murderer. But faith in this promise was the way of salvation. And the same gospel was preached to Abraham, wasn't it? Faith in the promise. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day, and he was glad. The same gospel was preached to the Israelites in Moses' day. What were they told? Look at the bronze serpent lifted up on high. And we see that that is a portrait of Jesus Christ, the sin bearer. But they also heard, uh, look to the Lamb of God in the sacrifices and you will be cleansed of sin. Why is it that John the baptizer then could say, and the people might understand what he meant by, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Because they had heard the gospel. They had seen it in the ceremonies, and now they see the fulfillment of it in the man, the Son of God incarnated. The Son of God incarnated as the Lamb of God. Faith in the Redeemer of God's elect. That is the same gospel of old, and that is the same gospel of today. His identity not fully revealed in the Old Testament, but that there was a Redeemer, a sin-bearer, a Messiah sent by God, testified to everywhere. Which is why the Samaritan woman would say to Jesus, I know Messiah is coming. She had the same gospel preached to her that we do. And if you miss that there has only been one gospel, you miss that God deals with his people of old and his people today in the same way. Baptists miss it, and so they deny that God deals with our children the same way. Antinomians miss it, and they miss that the moral law is not contrary to the gospel. And we, the apostle says, will miss out on the same fear that they were to have if we don't realize that their gospel is our gospel as well. Because it is the same gospel we are to fear today just as they were to fear. Please turn to 1 Corinthians 10 for a moment, if you would. I think it's worth reading through a significant section of God's word here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I want you to see the depths of this here because it cements the idea for us. And I will read the first 12 verses. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written." The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, 
as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of of, uh, serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. This is the same warning Paul delivers in Hebrews uh, in First uh, Corinthians ten and expanded there. Now I want you to think of one thing first. What kind of church was the church at Corinth? It was a church of Gentiles. But what does the apostle call the Jewish fathers in the Exodus to the Corinthians? What my Hebrew professor said, our fathers, our fathers, we find that they were all partakers of Christ as well. Don't you see that as we read it? That they uh, indulge in the same sins we are tempted to indulge in and are warned against. And twice the apostle calls them our examples to what end? That we should not lust as they lusted after evil things. And that they are our admonition. These things were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And his warning is this. Take note. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. When we see the Israelites grumble against God, when we see them provoke God in unbelief, what is the use of that? We are to take heed lest we ourselves fall. The Old Testament, you think of this, provides vivid examples for us to emblazon in our hearts and minds, vivid examples of what unbelief is like. The earth opening up to swallow God's traitors, uh, floods washing away the entire earth to save Noah and his family, Israelites dropping one after another short of Canaan in the desert. And you are to take those examples, beloved, and apply them to us of what the New Testament teaches. And so, the fate of the Israelite bodies dropping one after another in the wilderness must fill you with godly and reverent fear. For if they had the same gospel and could fall short, we can too. You must let that spur you on to grow in the faith and grow in faith, as we heard this morning, to trust in the Lord's promises and to ever obey the Lord's commandments. Not to be saved, but the fruit of saving faith. To know that you are saved. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Hebrews twelve fourteen. These are the warnings of the New Testament. These are words attached to the gospel of free, saving grace, beloved. You are not going to gain any merit from pursuing holiness, but you will know that you are saved when the fear of God causes you to obey and pursue holiness. You heard last time in Hebrews 3, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through what? The deceitfulness of sin. Sin has deceived many false professors who have thought that they are right with the Lord. They said a prayer once in a large stadium or in a service. They show up maybe twice a year to church on so-called holy days, but their lives friends, show the marks of reprobation and not salvation. 
And so when they take their final breath, they will awaken far short of glory in torment and not rest. What did we hear last week? Jesus would say to such as these, depart from me, I never knew you, ye worker of iniquity. It is right and proper to fear hearing those words from the Lord, beloved, that you might wake up to those words. It is right to fear. That is a mark of saving faith. If you don't fear hearing those words, I would have you fear you are falling short of glory. It is hard to understand, understand that you have saving faith if you don't have some kind of fear, some sort of sense about you that I must check my heart and my right with God through Jesus Christ. Well, Praise the Lord, he hasn't left us as the papists would like us to be left in a state of doubt all the time. We can know for sure, and that is to mix the word of God with faith, our final exhortation and our final heading. The latter part of the second verse teaches, the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Now the apostle is teaching a general principle that you and I must take note of. There is no profit from the word of God preached, unless it is mixed with faith. Uh, The picture here is very interesting in the Greek language. The picture here is of two things intermixing and intermingling. You might want to picture it like this, uh, boys and girls, especially as you think maybe of chemistry. The word of God is inert until it meets a certain catalyst in the believer. And that catalyst is provided by the Holy Ghost, which is faith. And then and only then does the word of God come to life. Only then does it erupt in the soul of man. Only then can it save us. Boys and girls, you might uh, recall from your chemistry class that um, if you take two substances which are inert by themselves, um, a very simple example of this is baking soda, right, and vinegar. When you mix them together, you generate a chemical reaction. And a tremendous amount of carbon dioxide is generated, and you see the force of it erupt, don't you? That is a picture of what happens when the word of God intermingles and mixes with faith. Then and only then is the saving reaction created. Then and then only do we profit from it. Guj put it this way, this mixing of faith with hearing the word shows there is a mutual relation betwixt the word and faith. The word as a mother breeds and brings forth uh, faith Faith as a loving daughter nourisheth and cherisheth the word and makes it more fruitful. Without the word, there can be no faith, Romans 10. Without faith, the word can have no power, end quote. It's beautiful what the word of God produces when it is mixed with faith. When it comes to the gospel promise being preached, without faith, you can hear all the day long, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and it will profit you nothing. You will find death. That was the problem in the Exodus out of Egypt, to think that out of 12 spies, only two, only two, truly believed the word of promise with faith. But do you remember what the holy reaction was in these two men when faith mixed with the word? Joshua and Caleb, they had a holy boldness that erupted in their souls. And that is the blessed result of saving faith, mingling with the word. You need to pray, pray, beloved, every time I come to the word. 
Oh, Spirit of the Lord, give me faith to receive it by faith. Hebrews 11 shows what this combustion in the soul is like when faith mixes with the word. You think of this cloud of witnesses who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And you know it goes on and on and on. That is what happens when faith mixes with the word. These are in Hebrews 11, as you read, the ones who are persuaded of God's promises, embrace them and believe them, mixing the word of promise with faith. But for those who heard that very same word, they heard the very same word and no faith was mixed with it. They all fell short of his rest and their bodies fell in the desert. You know, child of God, it's so simple really, isn't it? That the word by itself does no good unless we believe it. And believing it is not just to understand this. And we have to, and sometimes in our circles, we have to get this right because we do have a a good and high view of understanding the word. But there are many who understand the words of life and are not saved. Many, when quizzed, might even say, yes, I I can explain. Maybe Richard Dawkins, we considered him a, a, a week ago. Maybe Richard Dawkins could say, yes, I understand the way of salvation that the Bible gives us. Uh, He says, uh, the way of salvation in the Bible is to believe on Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I understand that completely. And I can tell you that is Christian doctrine. But friends, unless you believe it, unless you believe it for yourself, unless you say, I believe this, I don't just understand it, but I wholeheartedly believe it. Unless you can do that, you are not saved and the word of God profits you not. And so, I want you to remember, and I said this this morning, I want to say it again because it is vital, that the three marks of saving faith must accompany the hearing of the gospel. You must assent to the truth of the word. You must say, this word is truth. Thy word is truth, as our Lord prayed in John 17. Then you must receive Jesus Christ from out of the word, As John 1.12 says, as many have received him and as many as believed on his name, he has given power to be the sons of God. And then you must rest on Jesus Christ alone for salvation and as your only hope that you put away any striving, any striving to be saved outside of simply resting in the merits of Christ, as we heard in Matthew 11. And so what this is is simply to believe what the word says and take Jesus for yourself out of it. Then, and then only, do you profit from the saving words of God. See, faith is not a bare understanding of the words of life. And I think Gordon Clark got very dangerously close to basically teaching that. There are many, and I just say this out of experience, there are many who have walked into our services. They have understood every single word that has proceeded from the mouth of God in the scriptures and the the, the preacher that has preached it. They have heard me explain the way of salvation, but it has profited them not because it was not intermingled with faith. And without faith, they were unconvinced of the word of God. They may have heard God pleading with them from the word, be ye reconciled to God in 2 Corinthians 5.20. But without faith, that pleading did nothing. 
And they just walk out of the service just as condemned as they were when they walked into it. Merely attending on the word does not save you, but you must mix the word with faith. Mark sixteen fifteen through 16. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Last week, Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to who? To everyone who hears? No, everyone that believeth. Beloved, let me plead with you. You must believe the gospel or it profits you nothing. It will only add to your condemnation. To hear over and over again that all have come short of the glory of God. To hear that God justifies as well the ungodly. To hear Christ crucified for sinners and salvation over and over again held forth to you as a free gift. To hear that all who believe on Jesus Christ and repent of their sin will have rest. To hear all of that and not believe it is to condemn you. You still stand condemned. Boys and girls, let me just say you in particular must believe it. Not just hear it your whole life. You must all be awoken to the great danger of hearing the word. And maybe the word has become commonplace in Christian homes sometimes. You must all be awoken to the danger of just hearing that word over and over again. Your parents giving you the word. You coming to church and hearing the word. Memorizing scriptures. Memorizing scripture does nothing for you unless you believe it. Scripture memory is fantastic. But unless you receive it by faith, it does nothing for you, boys and girls. So believe the word of God. Hell is filled with souls that know the words of life and never believed. Even the demons believe the word of God, but they tremble. James reminds us. And they will tremble in an eternity of hellfire, and that must not be us. And I also want to warn you about your tears, because this has become a big problem. Many are affected by the word to tears even because there is a natural awe and a natural horror at what Jesus endured for sinners. But friends, many cry at movies with characters that are fictional. Many, this was especially when I was younger, many uh, cried coming out of a movie that portrayed some fictional characters on the Titanic. And they wept and wept for days. And many have wept at the crucifixion of Christ. There was that movie which you should never watch, The Passion of Christ. Many walked out of the cinemas crying and weeping for the portrayal of our Lord's crucifixion. Very, very few of those people are saved, friends. Unless you call out to the Lord to save you, saying, Lord, I believe I am a sinner. I know I am a sinner. And you have come to save sinners. But I also believe that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is what the Lord wants from you. You saying, I believe, Lord. I turn from my sin and I turn to you, the living God, Jesus Christ, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That is what it is to believe the gospel, friends. And that is why the Lord says that man went home justified before God. Those are the saving actions of the soul. That is the reaction, so to speak, of the word mingling with spirit-wrought faith. And yes, it may produce tears in you. Praise God if it does. 
But also praise God if it doesn't, if you believe that. And so you know when you are saved by that reaction. And there's an ongoing test that the Bible has to tell you whether or not you did truly mix the word of God with faith. And it is this question that Jesus posed to Peter. And it's a question you must receive yourself now. Will you also go away? Is there something that would cause you to walk away from Jesus Christ? Is there any situation, any circumstance, any amount of money, another uh, person who is trying, that you love who's trying to take your affections from Christ? And he's asking you, will you also go away? And what does faith mingled with this question out of the word of God produce? It produces what Peter responded to Jesus. Lord, to whom shall I go? Who shall I go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. That is the reaction of the word mingled with faith to the saving of your soul, friends. Is that your reaction when trials come, when afflictions, when difficulties, persecution break out? In all those providences, the Lord Jesus Christ is bringing to remembrance the question, will you also go away? As so many, friends, what is the sorrowful uh, um, undertone of that question? So many have gone away. So many have left him. And so that's why he asks, will you also go away? If you can say, Lord, to whom shall I go? You can know that faith has mixed with the word. And I know that I'm probably going a bit long here, but I want to say it's not just to be saved, not just for our justification, but for all other purposes, for sanctification and our perseverance, uh, our growth in grace to profit from the word. You must mix it with faith. That is a general principle. Faith hears the word as the words of God. It believes what the word says. Why? Because its author is God. And so everything that it receives, it receives the word, not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the very word of God. And when the word has a promise, I love how our confession draws this out. And I want to just draw out the three categories that I found very helpful here. Is when faith hears a word of promise from the word of God, it embraces them. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Faith mixed with the word of promise produces this glorious combustion of persuasion, embracing and confessing the promises of God in Hebrews 11.13. And when the word of God threatens us, as uh, Hebrews 4.1 does, uh, faith trembles when God's word threatens. Isaiah 66.2, I prayed this, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Faith mixed with the word of threatening produces a combustion in the soul that makes us poor and contrite and tremble, not being haughty, but fear, as when the other disciples around the table said, basically, is it I? Am I the betrayer? Let me examine myself. Then faith moves us to obey when we hear a commandment and how we need to hear this, especially Romans sixteen twenty six. But now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. 
Faith produces obedience, and faith mixed with the word produces that potent combustion of obedience. That is how you profit from the word of God, and you mix every kind of word you receive by faith. So you have heard. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Remember, there is a glorious rest ahead for the people of God. Praise the Lord for it. For if we had hope only in this world, what a pathetic hope we would have, friends. But we have an everlasting hope that is set before us. And so I plead with you, by the mercies of God, may this word be mixed with faith in you, that you would know for certain that you are headed to Christ's heavenly rest. May you all, all of you, trust in Jesus alone for your salvation and therefore find the promised rest for your weary souls. Amen. We'll pick up this theme of rest next time. Until then, please rise for prayer. O Lord, our God, you have given us sinners such precious promises, but they do us no good, Father, unless you give us faith. Lord, once again, we find ourselves in the position of crying out to you, Lord. Lord, we believe, help thou our unbelief. Father, would you strengthen our faith? Would you help us receive every word, every word uh, from you as a word from God, as we have our Bibles before us? But give us faith to mix with it, that it would produce the glorious fruits of faith. First, the saving of our souls, and second, all the, the, the blessed results in our souls from being sanctified and persevering in this life. Oh, Father, only you can do these things for us. And uh, we pray if there are any here who don't know the Savior, who have heard the word of God for many years even, and have never had it mixed with faith, that today would be the day of salvation for them. Help them, Father, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. For we ask this for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.